and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who, are, who have been trained by it afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Well, let's pray once again here before we look into this. Our Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit now as we look into your word. We pray that you would instruct us. Teach us now that we might better run the race that you have for each one of us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Running your race at God's pace. Let me just say to begin with that the book of Hebrews is a book that was written primarily for Jewish converts to Christianity. And apparently from what we read in this book, these converts were suffering some hardship, some persecution from their own countrymen because of their new faith. Now, we're told that they have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. In other words, they hadn't, there weren't any martyrs in, in the group yet, but they nevertheless were people who were suffering uh, in a number of ways because of their embracing of Christianity. Because of that, they were tempted to turn back to the old system, the, the thing they came out of, Judaism, uh, to turn back to that old way of life instead of pressing on in God's new and living way for them. So this letter was written to these professing Christians, Jewish Christians, as a word of exhortation. If you just uh, flip over, you see that this is, this is the way the writer himself uh, categorizes this letter. Uh, chapter 13, verse 22. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation. So this, he considered this, this letter a word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly. Now, if that's a brief letter, minor, minuscule, if I write a letter, calls this a brief letter. But uh, anyway, it is an exhortation to these people. 
And it contains many warnings against turning back. But it also contains many, many encouragements to press on and persevere, to continue to trust God, to not give up, to not turn back, to go forward, to persevere and endure. So that's really the part that we're looking at today. In other sections of the letter, he says things like this. Be imitators of those who, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience, or faith and endurance. Uh, in another section, he says, Do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So again, this idea of endurance, of pressing on, of not giving up. And, of course, this is a well-known section, especially these first three verses have to do with running the race. He uses the picture of a race and endurance here. Uh, I think the King James says patience, but endurance carries more of the idea that because normally we don't think of running with patience, but you do think of running with endurance, the race set before us. So we're going to spend most of our time on those first three verses here of Hebrews chapter 12. Let me just say to begin with that this great cloud of witnesses, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race set before us. This great cloud of witnesses is the people that he's mentioned just prior to uh, what he's written here. In, in, in back in chapter 11, he was talking about all these so-called heroes of faith. Well, they are who he's talking about when he says a great cloud of witnesses, these examples of faith and endurance that he had just mentioned. So the idea is not that they are witnesses of us. That's the way it's sometimes taken. These, guy, these people in heaven are looking down on us witnessing what we're doing. No, it's not the idea that they're witnesses of us, but that they're witnesses to us, to us of how to run this race with faith and endurance. Not that they are looking at us, but that we should be looking or can look to them. Their example bears witness to us of the possibility and the reality of a life of faith. So that's the first thing. We have this great cloud of witnesses. And then he compares this living the Christian life to a race. Now, the New Testament writers often compared the Christian life to a battle, to warfare. But they, did, they also compared the Christian life to some sporting events, some athletic activities. And the ones that they chose were usually the most strenuous and demanding of the sports that uh, were common at that time. Things like wrestling, boxing, and the one we're looking at here, running. And I really think that the race that he's referring to here 
is surely a long-distance race. He wasn't talking about a 100-yard dash. Something more like a marathon or the kind of running that I used to do, this thing of cross-country. Uh, one thing that I learned in running cross-country was that you just expect this to not feel so good. Uh, you expect some discomfort and pain. That's just part of running the race. If it's, We used to run four miles. I'm sure it's even more so if you're in a marathon. I never tried a marathon, but I'm sure going into it, you're just aware this is not going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be... Uh, difficult and there's going to be some pain involved. Running many miles requires strenuous effort over a long period of time. So we need to run this race. One primary thing is we need endurance. He says, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Now I found this out from a commentary and I thought this was pretty interesting. The word the Greek word translated race here is actually the Greek word agon, from which we get our word agony. That's something, isn't it? Well, I can tell you, running cross country, sometimes when you're, you know, you get the side ache and it hurts and you think, I'd just as soon not be doing this right now. Uh, there's a little agony involved in these kind of races. So here the writer to the Hebrews is picturing a foot race where the athlete is to lay aside everything that would hinder, any training weights, any warm-up clothes, any extra baggage has to be laid aside because he's going to run a long distance. Now some get weary and faint and not finish the course. That happened, as I was telling the children, that happened in the first race I was in. I actually passed out, and when I woke up, here was the coach and all the, the other teammates standing around me. I was laying on the ground looking up at them and telling them, I can finish. <laughs> and the coach said, you're finished. <laughs> took me to the hospital. But others endured to the end. So it was a good picture for these Jewish Christians who were getting weary and tempted to give up. And it is a good picture for all of us because we all have those hard times, those difficult times, those times when we need endurance. Satan's lie is that the better things go for us, the better Christians will be. But God often uses fire and difficulties to purify us and develop things in us that wouldn't be developed any other way. In other words, the bad times can be good for us if we'll look to God and conversely 
the good times can be bad for us if we don't look to God in those times. So we have need of endurance. And if we're going to be any good at a particular sport, we need training, we need instruction, and we need discipline. In fact, that word discipline is brought up, I believe, nine times in, in these verses 5 through 13. So he wanted to emphasize the importance of discipline. Like I said, the picture changes a little bit here from a race, but nevertheless, it's brought up because he's thinking about the race and the need for discipline. Now, when I think of this type of thing, I think of back of the coach that I had in college when I was running cross-country. Well, you need a good coach or a trainer, and a trainer usually, if you're going to run successfully. Because the good coach, a good coach knows the sport, and a good coach knows you. He knows the athlete. And they will devise a training plan to strengthen you and make it so you can finish the course. And that's what uh, God is doing in our lives. Now, here's a few thoughts related to this discipline that a coach or trainer uh, will put upon the athlete. First of all, I think it's important as we think about this to remember that our, our coach is our Heavenly Father. So he's committed to getting us into shape so that we will run this race and finish the course. Secondly, he has a personalized training program designed for each one of us. It might it won't be the same, you know. Russell has a different one than I do. But he's got one and it's personalized especially for you. He knows exactly how long our race is and exactly the qualities we need in order to finish it. He knows exactly the right amount of stress and strain to put on us to develop us properly. Coaches do that. And when they do that, sometimes we're inclined to think that the coach must, might be a little bit unkind or uncaring. I remember our coach would have us run these quarter-mile wind sprints. I hated them. I mean, it was so hard. Because I didn't like running fast. I liked running long, but not fast. But in the quarters, he would really press us. He also would have us run hills. He had, there was this one huge hill out on this course that we ran. And, of course, if you run in the course, you run it one time. But he would have us run it 10 or 15 times, just up and down and up and down. Well, I didn't like that, and I thought the coach was being a little hard. But he was doing it so that we could run the hills better in the races that we ran. And they will correct your form also. That's what I was telling the kids. When, he, when, he, when I'd be running along and he'd see my hands getting down like this, he'd say, hands up, folks. 
And sometimes he wouldn't have to say anything. He'd, be, he'd just go like this. I'd know if, I knew what he meant. My hands were hanging down. So a coach knows us. He knows the course, and he knows us, and he knows what's best for us. So we need to remember in this picture that we're talking about here that our coach is our heavenly father. He's motivated by love, not anger or some kind of indifference, not caring if we're hurting or not. He's motivated by love. The other thing I think that we can glean from this is that generally the benefits of our training and discipline are only experienced later, not during the training. That's actually what he brings out over in verse 12. He says, All discipline for the moment seems not joyful, like when you're running up that hill, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, and there's the key word, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So a lot of times when we're going through the discipline, we really don't see the value of it. But afterward is when we'll see what God was aiming at. And then the last point I would make in this area is just that no true disciple, no true runner of the race goes undisciplined. If you're Undisciplined. If God's not doing any discipline, that just means you're not really in the race. Well, in these verses that we're looking at here, uh, the first few verses, the writer's telling us to lay aside every encumbrance, or the King James says weight, and the sin that so easily entangles us. So there's, there's encumbrances and then there's sin. It's like there's two different things here. And we're, we're to lay these things aside, get rid of any extra baggage. You know, even a little extra weight in a long race adds up. It, it's going to make a difference. It's going to slow you down. So we need to lay those things aside. Now, he doesn't tell us what those things are. I think in the first case where he's talking about laying aside every encumbrance, he may have had in mind things that are not sinful in themselves, but which would prevent us from running as well as we could. There are things like that in our Christian life, things that maybe others can do, and won't. it wouldn't be an encumbrance for them, but if we carry that around, it's going to slow us down. So we need to lay those things aside. We should ask this basic question of ourselves in relationship to anything like that. Will this help or hinder me as I seek to run the race set before me? So that's the encumbrance. But then this other thing that he mentions are things that I think are positively Sinful, he says, and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, you can't run a race if you're entangled. It's just you can't do it. So we have to lay those type of things aside too. Now, the King James, I think, has the sin which so easily besets us. And so a lot of people take this verse as referring to a person's particular besetting sin. 
and you can apply it that way, but I don't really think that's what he's talking about here. I think the, the sin he's speaking of is basically just sin in general that surrounds all of us and so easily ensnares us. We must lay those things aside. Now, what's what would that be? Well, let's look just quickly here at some examples from the Scriptures of things that were told, sins were told to lay aside. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Keep your place here in Hebrews. We'll be coming back. But Colossians chapter 3. Verse 8. But now you also put them all aside. So here's some things we need to put aside. Anger. Wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. You're not going to be able to run the race if those things are there. So put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. And actually, I think, as he says here, but now you also, the also refers back up to some sins he's already mentioned in verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So those are the kind of things that uh, Paul says we need to lay aside. Um, Let's turn to 1 Peter. Chapter 2, and verse 1. First Peter 2, 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. So, If you're going to run this race, you have to put aside malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And then if you would turn to James. Chapter 1 and verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So putting aside filthiness and wickedness. We need to be done with these things and run with determination the race that is set before us. Now, it's a race that's been appointed for us, each one of us, individually. Appointed for each of us, remembering that our particular course was designed by God. That's really important, I think. Because it was designed by God, it is the best course for you. We have to believe that. 
It's true that Satan will put obstacles in our way on this course, but God's still in control. Uh, a good example would be Job's life. Think of the course appointed for him. Satan put all kinds of obstacles in his way, very difficult things, and yet God was in control of that. And we need, we're told in James, to consider the outcome of the Lord's dealings with him, with Job, that the Lord was full of compassion and merciful. That's what you have to believe in the midst of the difficult times in the race that God set before each each of us, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. So we have these examples of people like Job in the Old Testament and all these other Old Testament saints, men and women that are mentioned there in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Now, none of them had the same course to run, but they were similar. And our course is similar to theirs. And to the Old Testament saints, we can now add the New Testament as examples to us. The men and women that are portrayed for us in the New Testament, men and women of faith and endurance. So we can look to them as examples. And to that, we can add the biographies of men and women for the last 20 centuries that God has brought on in this race and brought them to the finish line. They were people of like nature as we are. They had weaknesses and fears and character flaws and sin. But by the grace of God, they finished the course and they kept the faith. One man said it this way, the grace that was sufficient for them will not be deficient for us. And we can actually even look to our fellow runners right now, contemporary men and women that we know of. In fact, the writer of Hebrews mentions that. If you turn over to 13... Verse 7, he tells these people he was writing to, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So people that were uh, their contemporaries were also being pointed to. So all that's good, but above all, above all, We need to look to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. He's the great example. In fact, he's the perfect example. Fix your eyes upon him if you want to know how to run the race. Well, when you you hear that, the thought that might come to your mind is, well, yes, but he was God. Well, that's true, but he ran the race as a man. That's why we were exhorted to fix our eyes upon him. He ran the race 
as a man, putting his trust in God. We often, I think, forget this. I think we sometimes lose sight of the reality of Christ's manhood because we believe and understand that he was divine. But the fact is, he was one of us. He had to trust in God and endure to do the Father's will here on earth. Just the way every saint has had to trust God and endure, Christ as a man had to trust God and endure. In fact, in this very letter, we're told that that he said this about himself, I will put my trust in. In him, that's the Son here on earth speaking of God the Father. I will put my trust in him. He had to do that or he wouldn't have finished the course. He had, as a man, had to put his trust in God. So he is our perfect example because he ran the race as a human. Uh, Let's just turn back to Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. And if you underline your Bible, that would be a good little phrase. Made like his brethren in all things. That he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he has suffered. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So he ran the race as a man, even though he was God and could have used his divine prerogatives At any time, he chose not to. He ran the race as a man so that he might become our example and our pioneer. But you and I know that we need more than an example, don't we? The race is too hard, too agonizing for us to run in our own strength, even if we have a perfect example to look at. We need power in order to run as we ought. We need a power working within us to make it so that we can run this race. So here, any kind of analogy with an earthly coach breaks down. Because a coach can tell you how to run, but the coach can't get inside of you and make you run that way. But God, in Christ, does that. Remember I mentioned that this word race in the Greek is agon. Well, let me show you another place that that is used in its verb form in Colossians. I think this is a very helpful verse. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. 
is Paul speaking, and we proclaim him, that is Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor. And that's the same word. It's the verb form of this word agon. I labor, striving according to the power which mightily works within me. So Paul was saying, I labor, I agonize in this race, in this effort of bringing people to Christ. But nevertheless, he puts it this way. He labors, striving according to the power which mightily works within me. I'm sure, in fact, we know that there were times when Paul felt weak, because he tells us that. There were times when he felt distressed, because he tells us that. There were times when he was sorrowful, and we know there were times that he was sinful. And yet God brought him through. He looked to Jesus, the author and perfecter of his faith. Paul knew that he who began a good work in him would bring it to perfection and completion. So the point I'm trying to make here is that the only possible way to run this race is by looking to Christ and having His power in us so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. We need Him at the start. We need Him, if we're going to run through this race with endurance, we need Him to cause us to finish the race that's set before us. Now, when I think about this analogy of a race, I realize that I've known some people who started to run and seemed to run and yet dropped out. I've known some people that I actually thought had helped me in my race that aren't in the race anymore. And I've known others who have resigned themselves, or at least they seem to have resigned themselves, to a life of trudging along, disheartened, discouraged, and defeated. That's not what Hebrews is talking about. I've also known others who waste time looking for some shortcut in the race. And that's tempting. I can remember some of the races that I was in, because I was so far behind, I could see wh- where these people ran to and were now there, and I could have gone that way and cut out a lot of this race. Of course, if you do that, you're disqualified. But it was a temptation. So, it's a waste of time to look for a shortcut because that disqualifies you. What am I talking about? Well, in the Christian life, if you think you can run this race without discipline and discipleship, you're wrong. That's a shortcut that will disqualify you. Uh, And there are a lot of false teachers that say that you can run the race that way, but it's not according to the course that God has set out. I guess an example would be those that would say that 
Christ can be your Savior and not your Lord. There's a big shortcut. The fact is, you can't run the race unless He's your Lord. There's no way to run this race. I've also known some who try to run the race by using what you might call uh, steroids or some type of stimulant to keep them going, some new doctrine or experience to get them emotionally charged up so they can run a little bit more. But you know what happens with those things? They wear off. They wear off usually pretty quickly, and then you'll start running around looking for something else to fill that, make that stimulation. And you'll spend your time running after those things instead of running the race that's set before you. No, the only way to run is by looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, we must have supernatural, divine strength to run the race. That's, that's the bottom line. To get to the finish line, you have to have supernatural help, supernatural strength. I was mindful of those verses in Isaiah. Do you not know, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. There's where you need to get your strength from, from somebody that does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, like I did in my first race, so vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagle. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So the point is, fix your eyes. Fix the eyes of your heart upon him who entered heaven as a forerunner for us. How do we do that? Well, as you read the scriptures, look for him. Look for him. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal more of Christ to you. Pray that God might reveal to us more of his irresistible attractiveness. That's what we need, to see more of Christ. The one who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. What was this joy that was set before him? Well, I've mentioned a few things here. The joy of sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God, that's what he mentions. The joy of sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God, having accomplished all that he was sent to do, bringing many sons to glory. The joy of being crowned with glory and honor because of the grace of God, because by the grace of God he tasted death for all of us. The joy that through his death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
the joy of doing the will of God and perfecting for all time those who have been saved. These are all, you see, the joy that was set before him. In other words, the joy of defeating his enemies and returning to the glory of his Father with a vast multitude of redeemed people to glorify God forever. For that, he was willing to endure the cross, despising the shame. The the cross was the most painful and shameful way to die. And it wasn't just the outward pain and shame, but it was because of taking our sins upon himself, the pain and the shame that was associated with sin. So we're told in this section of Scripture to consider. Consider him who endured such hostility of sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Christ. Well, in closing then, let me just emphasize two things. We run this race together. It says, let us run the race. Let us run the race. This is different than any earthly race because you're trying to beat other people in that race. But we're running a race together. We're not running alone and we're not competing against one another. The goal of the Christian life is not to get across the finish line first. The goal is to get yourself and as many others as God allows across the finish line with you. You want everybody to get across that line. See, this is different. This is a different attitude. You want those that don't know Christ to get into the race. And you want those that do know Christ, you want to help them along in their race. So, that's, that's a different way of viewing the race, but that's, that's the race set before us. We're in it together. And... In this race, we don't make the rules. We don't even choose our own race. God has appointed a race for us. We're running a race that he has set before us. And as I brought out before, it's a unique to each one of us, and we run it at the pace that God has for us, not the pace he has for someone else, If you get to looking around too much at how everybody else is running, you just won't run well yourself. So your objective is to run at the pace that God has set for you personally for your race. He's done that according to your unique makeup and the abilities that you have, and he knows those perfectly because he's the one that's given them to you.
See, we travel, as Tozer says in one of his essays, we travel in a pointed way. It's appointed for us by God personally. And he knows perfectly what to put in that race so that we will be conformed to the image of Christ and make it right on through to heaven. Well, I'll I'll close then with just an example that I like to use. I've used it before, but it fits well here, so uh, I'll bring it up again. There was a girl that was born in 1820, and... From a very early age, she was blind because of the wrong medication given to her for an eye infection. Well, what is a little blind girl going to do? What kind of a race can she run? Well, by the age of 10, she'd memorized the four Gospels. That's a pretty good start on the race, isn't it? And by the time that she died at age 94, she'd written more than 6,000 hymns. So I think most of you probably, or some of you anyway, will know that I'm talking about this lady, Fanny Crosby. She had a race laid out before her. It was appointed by God. And she ran it as a blind girl, but she ran it well by looking to Jesus looking to Jesus with those blind eyes, she ran the race that was set before her. Uh, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed redeemer. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Just the titles are a blessing. (coughs) He hideth my soul. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Well, that was her race. And when she finished, they put this on her tombstone. Quoting from Mark 14.8, She hath done what she could. She has done what she could. And that's what God is looking to each one of us. We just do what God enables us to do with the grace that he's given us, with the faith that he's given us. We run this race. Running the race at God's pace. She ran the race set before her, looking to Jesus, and that's what all of us are called to. Well, why don't we close with that song of Fanny Crosby's All the Way My Savior Leads Me. When somebody finds a page, just let us know.